Welcome to First Importance, featuring the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis. Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, it is in my very professional opinion uh, that I, I state here today that everyone knows how to be a father to a child who is not a father to a child. Everyone knows how to be a parent until you become a parent. And it doesn't take long after that child is placed in your hands uh, to you hold that child in your arms before you realize that every single moment up until that moment, you were stupid. <laughs> you thought you knew how everything worked until it is time to now for you to take care of, to raise this child. And you realize you have no idea what you're doing. You make comments every day like, son, maybe it's not a good idea to stick that in the electrical outlet. Or maybe, son, don't put that in the toilet and bring it back out. That's not a good idea. We make weird statements each week. Every day I make a statement that I say, did I say that out loud today? Is this reality? Every father lives in this reality. The fact is we, we don't know what we're doing, and so we look to role models around us. Some of us had good earthly fathers, and we try to emulate them. We try to act the way that they act and try to do the things that they do. And so it's no wonder that people say, you act just like your father. You look, you're doing just like your, you're doing your best to, it seemed like they had it all together. For those of us who had good earthly dads, it seemed like they knew what they were doing. And it's only after some perspective and growing a little bit older that you realize they really had no idea either. And then there's some of us who did not have good fathers. And so your job is to try to at times live in spite of the way that they acted. Maybe they were absent and so you do a more careful job of being present in your child's life. Or maybe they mistreated you and so you're very careful to be kind and compassionate with your children. At any rate, all fathers in this earth fail. They fall down. They don't, they don't add up. They don't live up. And so it's our task to come to Scripture to see what does the Bible have to say. The Bible speaks of God as Father. As a matter of fact, it's one of our core beliefs in God as the Trinity. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How God relates to us, how God is, is he's a Father to us. In a sense, he is Father to all of creation. He is fatherly, rather, to all creation. But the Bible is very clear uh, that because we have sinned and fallen short of him, because we have rebelled, uh, we are no longer children of God and we must repent of our sins and turn to him and then we can become children of God. He's a father to believers in a real sense. The scripture says of him in Psalm in chapter 68 and verse 5, he is a father to the fatherless. In James in 1.17, the Bible teaches us that he is the father of lights. And so what I would like to do today is to go to one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture and examine God as father. 
It's one of my favorite passages, and, and today we're going to look at the good father in Luke chapter 15. Today's going to be different than what we normally do. I'm going to commentary virtually the whole time as we go through. I know some of you are saying, great, I can't believe I came to this service where I can commentary. We're gonna, I'm going to commentary pretty much the whole time, and then at the very end, I'm going to give you three quick points. So if you're taking notes, don't get worried that you're not missing the point. There's three points, because I'm a Southern Baptist preacher, okay? There's three points here at the very end that you can take home with you. Well, let me stop and pray and ask God to bless this time, and then we'll jump into our text. Father, please use me, this imperfect vessel, to preach your word to your people. I pray that you would encourage us today. I pray that the lost would repent and turn to you. And Father, I pray you'd teach us to lean upon our good Father. It's in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. Our passage today is often known as the prodigal son. Uh, I preach this sermon or I preach on this topic as the faithful father, the forgiving father, the generous, the joyful father, whatever you care to call it. I think it really centers on the father. It's one of the most famous stories of all time. Some of the most famous authors in history have described this account as being the greatest story that is ever told. But would it come as a surprise to you today that when Jesus told this story to those who were around him, they were repulsed. They were thrown off. It was a disgusting story. It was a shameful story. And so I want us to get some context. So let's move to Luke chapter 15. We'll begin in verse 1. And God's word says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That is Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, the Pharisees and Sadducees were very angry at Jesus. Jesus lived in a time of, uh, lack of a better term, cancel culture. It's, uh, you'd say, well, really, I mean, we live today in what uh, often people call a cancel culture, but really it's been throughout time. And some of you are saying, what is cancel culture? And that is when you find something that you disagree with upon, uh, with someone, you cancel them. They are over with. They have nothing good to say. They have nothing to bring to the table. Those people are canceled. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders were in the canceling business. And friends, business was a booming during this time. You see here, they're seeing uh, Jesus, the man who is the son of God, who is claiming to be the Messiah. He is hanging out with all of the people that they have canceled, all the people that they had said are not redeemable, all of the people who they said are, are secondhand people. You shouldn't be with these people. And Jesus is hanging out with him. They had canceled a lot of people, the Gentiles, all together. Everyone who wasn't a Jew, these religious leaders said they're worthless, they're dogs, uh, they're dirty. You don't want to be around these people. You can't be clean. You can't be holy if you are around these people. And here Jesus is with these people. Uh, they say that about the Gentiles. They said about the Romans. I mean, my goodness, the Romans are, have, have conquered Israel. They are subjugating them to their laws, their taxes. 
Done. We have nothing to do with those people. They are evil, wicked people. What about the Samaritans? Oh, man. They had canceled them. Half-breeds, disgusting people. You go around that town. You don't go through Samaria. These people are, are not redeemable. And then, and then the worst of the worst, these tax collectors. No amens. No amens at this time. They say tax collectors. These are people who were Jews who had committed themselves to this other government and in the meantime were lining their own pockets. And the religious elite had nothing to do with them. These guys, these sinners, they're not redeemable. We have canceled them. They're out of our vocabulary. We're not even going to try and help them. And here's Jesus hanging out with these people. Can you believe he's claiming to be the son of God? Look who he's entertaining. Look who he's keeping company with. And so Jesus shares with them three parables. He wants to let them, you think you know who the father is? Let me describe the father. I have been with him. I am him. The father and I are one. So let me describe to you what the father is like. And so he shares three parables. The first one is found in verse Three. The first parable he shares is about a shepherd who has 100 sheep and one of them goes missing. You're familiar with this story. He says the shepherd counts his sheep and out of 100 of them, one is gone. And so he leaves the 99 and he goes out in the highways and byways and through the thickets and he goes to find this lost sheep. And when he finds the sheep, he rejoices. He comes back, he gathers all his friends, all the other shepherds. Look, the sheep that I have lost, I have found. Rejoice with me. One out of 99 sheep. If you're a mathematician, you know that's 1%. Verse 8, he tells the second parable. He tells a parable of a woman who has 10 silver coins and in her busyness of day-to-day life, she's lost one of her coins, and so she stops everything she's doing. She cleans her house from top to bottom until she finds that one coin. And when she finds the coin, she calls up her neighbors, she calls up her friends, and she says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And in verse 10, Jesus says, just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I said that again in verse 7 about the sheep. Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. So you've got 1%, one sheep out of 99. You have 10%, one coin out of 10. And then he begins to tell the story of the faithful father. He says in verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. This is as normal as this story is going to get. If you're looking for a normal story, this is the exit ramp for you. This is where you get off because the rest of this story just takes a deep dive into the strange and the peculiar of the Hebrew world. He said there was a man who has two sons, verse 12, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. The Israelites, the religious elite who would have heard this, 
their jaws would have hit the ground when they heard this part of the story. How dare this little punk come in and request, make such of a request to his father? How ridiculous. I mean, how does this guy even get out of bed in the morning? He, he feels as if everything is owed to him. This younger son is way out of line. And they're going to say this really for three reasons. For three reasons. Number one, he's the younger son. You see, the older son was the, the prominent son. Hey, all you firstborns in here, it, it probably would have been a real good life for you back then. Not so now, but back then, you were the progenitor. Uh, you were the one who carried on the family name, and to you came the wealth or the lack of wealth of your father's house. Two-thirds went to the older son, and in this case, one-third would have went to the younger son. And he's speaking out of turn. He's the younger son. He should be quiet. He should be minding his own business. He, of all people in that family, should not be requesting what is coming to him. But secondly, he's doing it out of disrespect. Because you don't get an inheritance until someone, what? Dies. Someone dies. And so the younger son is essentially saying to his father, drop dead. I want what you have and not who you are. I want what you can provide and not who you are and, 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 and all that is you. And this is so disrespectful. The people during this time, the religious elite would have been so offended by this story. It would not have been beautiful in any way as they heard this. This young, insolent man, he's out of turn. He's disrespectful. And on top of this, something that people never talk about, what the son is saying is, I can do better for myself with your resources than you can do for me. Sounds like a lot of American Christians today, doesn't it? Like a lot of people who call themselves believers. God, I feel as if I can do better for myself than you can do for me. When you hit times of tragedy, you really question, God, your goodness. I, I mean, surely I can do better for myself than you can do for me. But this young man saying, Dad, I, I can spend this better on me than you can spend it on me. And the religious elite would have been appalled. Look at the audacity of this young man. The younger, verse 12, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, at this point in time, several Pharisees would have left. This story is not believable. It is unreal. It is, look at this dad. What kind of dad is this? When your young son comes to you and says, drop dead, give me a third of your resources, you waylay that boy and teach him that is no way to talk to his daddy. That is unbelievable. But the father in this story divides it up. He gives a third to his son and two-thirds to his older son. Verse 13, not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. Not many days later. Did you, you catch the significance of that? His dad's wealth would have been mostly in property. Cattle, sheep, 
It would have been mostly in resources and not in money. And so what this son had to do in order to leave very quickly was he had to liquidate everything, get everything out, everything's on sale, everything's at a discounted price. It's yours right now for the low price of whatever you can give me because I got to get out of town. I've told my dad to drop dead and I've got to go do some living, so I'll take whatever you can give me. He sells his dad's hard-earned resources at a discounted price. At this point in Hebrew culture, the dad, uh, if he would have somehow managed all the way through this, if the son would have left, they would have had a funeral for the son. He is dead to us, canceled, over. That rebellious, disrespectful son is no longer a part of our family, much like today in Muslim cultures where you will find a a, a young man or young woman will come to know Jesus and and that family will disown them. You are disrespecting our household. You're an embarrassment to us. And in many cases, will kill those converts to Christianity. Here, they would have most certainly had a funeral. This son is dead to our family. If you see him walking down the road, you go down the other side. You turn the other way. But in verse 13, he, he leaves. He sells everything. They essentially have a funeral for him. He leaves. The younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. You see, he couldn't live it up next to dad. He had to get far away from him. He had to get away from him, away from the people in town that knew who he and his family was. He had to get away from whatever the righteousness of Israel would have been at the time. And so he goes into a foreign land. This, again, would have been disrespectful. This would have been unthinkable to the Jewish people at this time. He is going to live, a son of the promised land is going to live amongst people who do not fear and love God. But you're going to see why he does that. He, He takes a far journey into the far country. And there, the Bible says, he squandered his property in reckless living. He takes all of that money and he squanders it. Every last ounce. He squanders it on companionship. He squanders it on uh, drunkenness. He squanders it on all the things that this world has to provide. And he, he... totally gets rid of all of the funds that his father had worked hard for. The polar opposite of what is respectable. Even in our society today, uh, we expect that a father would take care of a household, that a father would sacrifice his own well-being for the goodness of his household that will go without so that his family and his children can have. And this son is going to take advantage of that generosity and sell everything. Or he's going to spend everything. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. I think it's extremely poetic that that occurs. He spends all of his money living the high life of what the world can provide. And then when he runs out of it, it would be hard enough to live in a nation, in a country who's not having a famine with no source of income. That would be very difficult. But whenever the, the supplies are not in stock and whenever there's a famine in the land, it's much harder to get what you want. 
Furthermore, he finds out that everything that did not provide joy for him is, is kind of poetic in the moment. He's now living in a famine. He began to be in need, verse 15. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. This would be absolutely, again, unthinkable. Pigs were unclean animals, and to go and to work in that environment would make yourself spiritually, ritually unclean. And here, this man who had a good upbringing, who had a father who loved him, who had a father who obviously we see here is a man of the nation of Israel, here he is working for someone who does not fear or respect God, and he is working with the filthiest animals that uh, a Jewish person could even imagine. And in verse 16, we learn more. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. He's in charge of tending the pigs, and he is in such want and need. He's not getting fed, but he's looking at the pigs and what they're eating, and he's longing to have what they got on his menu. Have you, how many of you have uh, raised hogs before pigs or had family members who've done it? How many have seen pigs in a far, farmer's place, uh, farm? I don't know. It probably made more sense, right? Farmer's market, yeah. Farmer's, uh, a farm. It'd be, it's, if you go in there and you see the pigs, it's disgusting. And what they eat is filthy. It's trash. They call it slop. Okay, and he is watching this slop being poured in, and he's so hungry. This guy who he is employed with is not taking care of him, is not meeting his needs in any way, that he's desiring to eat the slop that the pigs are eating, the pods, which would have been unedible. You perhaps could have gotten it down if you were hungry. It would not have stayed there. It provided no nutrition. It would have made him sick. But he was longing to be fed with those pods that the pigs we're eating, but no one gave him a thing. Foreign land, dead to his family, canceled out of his culture. There is no redeeming this man who is at the bottom of the bottom. He is filthy, he is, was arrogant, and now he's got what he deserves. That's what we would say as American Christians today. He made his bed. Let him lie in it. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He's saying to himself, even my dad treated his servants better than I'm being treated right now. He gave them bread he took care of them, but I am dying of hunger. Verse 18, he says to himself, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He begins to formulate his plan. He, he recognizes that he is not worthy of any acceptance in his family. And he realized that first, his sin is against God. His sin, what he has done, is rebellious. And he says, my sin is first against heaven, and then it is before you. I have done something evil. I have done something wicked. I regret ever having done these things. I am reaping 
the fruit of what I have sown. And I'm going to go to my daddy, and I'm going to say with the best, best way I can, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned before you. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He says, I don't even want to take away my name, take away everything that is in me. Just hire me as one of your workers. I realize I failed you. Treat me as one of your servants. And then verse 20 hits. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, let me say that last part again. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. If you're taking notes just real quickly, number one, I want you to see the father who waits and seeks. The father who waits and seeks. This young man is in complete shame and he is walking back to his house. But before he can see his father, his father sees him. Somebody is going to have to say amen there. Before he can even see his father, his father sees him. I can imagine that his father every morning went out on that porch and looked out toward the end of that road to see if his son was walking up that morning. And I can imagine at noontime right after lunch, he'd walk out on that porch and he'd look again out to the edge of that road to see if his son was coming. Days and weeks and months passed. I can imagine each night before he went to bed, just as the sun was, was coming down, I imagine he looked over to that edge of that road and looked to see if his son was coming. And each and every day, each and every day, his son was still out living it up or, or reaping, the, reaping the fruit of all that he had sown. But this day, the father is waiting and he is looking. He is seeking. You know, the Bible says of Jesus, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. It's Jesus who seeks after us. Some of you say, oh, well, Josh, you were saved at a young age. You were saved because you were in a pastor's house. No, no, no. God interrupted what I was doing. I was on my own path. Even at a young age, we're all on our own path, rebellious, doing our own thing. And God interrupted what we were doing. He was seeking after us. He was waiting on us. And here the father is waiting and he's seeking. The son doesn't see him. He sees the son. Psalm 86, 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Our God today, if you're running today from him, our God is waiting and seeking. It reminds me of the day that I came back to my house from being overseas in Iraq for a year. My dad and I have a very close relationship, something I'm very thankful for. But I remember I, we were being debriefed and, and taking care of all of our stuff in Camp Shelby, Mississippi, and a few guys and myself rented a car and was going to drive back to Arkansas, make that long drive back to Arkansas, and I was one of the last guys being dropped off. And I'll never forget turning the corner onto College Street and looking down our long driveway up at the very top near the house, seeing my dad sitting on the tailgate of the truck. 
I later learned that my dad had been out there. I think that was about six or five or six in the afternoon. My dad had been out there since about five or six that morning, just waiting, just looking. Why? Because his son was coming home, just waiting. And here the father's just waiting and he's seeking. The father who waits and seeks. Number two, the father who runs and weeps. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and then it happens. I can imagine it. His father's hands on the rails of that porch, peering out, and he notices his son coming over the hilltop, and he has compassion, and his heart begins to pump, and it moves on down to the post next to the stairwell, and he very quickly but cautiously moves down those stairs and then he has to do something that is unthinkable in Hebrew time. Even in Mid-Eastern culture today, the robes of men are down to their ankles because it is shameful to expose your legs. But the father gets down to the bottom of the stairs and there's something that is impeding the embrace that he's about to give his son and that is his speed and so he hacks up his robe and he begins to run with full force and all out sprint the father with everything he has is running toward his son our God puts the race in grace he pursues us he comes down from his high heaven took on human flesh lived a perfect life and then abused from mankind all sorts of pain as he was nailed to the cross. It's displayed here in this parable as the father shamefully runs to the son and when he gets to him, he embraces him. The word for embrace here in the Greek means to fall upon him, full force. I mean, this is a Josh Hall kind of hug. You know what I'm saying? It's not thinking, actually, there was one time several years ago, uh, Bobby, remember this? There's a, a, a guy who's our friend about our age. I did not realize he had just had knee surgery, and I ran up to him and gave him a big low hug because I thought it would be funny. And he goes, ah, my knee, my knee. That has nothing to do with this, but he just full force hug. I mean, there's a lot of hugging to catch up on. He goes and he grabs his son and he holds him down to his chest. And the Bible says, and he kissed him. And the Greek there, the tense and the format of that word is that he kept kissing him and kissing him and kissing him. My boy is home. My boy is home. The father had already made up his mind to forgive. The father had already made up his mind to have mercy. And he embraces and he kisses. And I imagine he's weeping. The father who runs and weeps. And it's the same today. The father loves you even as you've been running from him. He's looking and waiting and seeking after you. And if you will repent, he will turn and he will run to you and he will embrace you and be the father that you never could have. It would give you grace that you could never imagine. When everyone else had canceled you, your father still loves you. Let's move on quickly. Number three, the father who rejoices and leaps. We've seen the father who waits and seeks, the father who runs and weeps. But now we see the father who rejoices and leaps. Verse 21, 22, or excuse me, verse 21, the son gives his little speech that he had worked on. He had not anticipated his father 
behaving the way that he did. In verse 22, the father responds even more emphatically. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. The best suit he had in his house, house, the best outfit he owned is now going on his son. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. That means I'm giving him my authority back. Put shoes on his feet. Servants in the, in the New Testament would not have been given the luxury of shoes. And what he's saying is, my son is not going to be just another servant. He is my child. Verse 23, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. You know, we think of God as kind of being well, exalted, and he is. We think of him as being stern and stone-faced. But here we see the father who is leaping with joy. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The father rejoices at the returning of his son. But then you know the ending, right? The older son is out in the field working. He hears this big commotion. There's the smell of a good steak dinner. He's smelling coming up and he's saying, what is going on? He comes back. He asks a servant. He doesn't even go straight to his father to show you what kind of relationship he had with his father. He, he goes straight to his servant and says, what is going on? The servant says, your brother has come back, and your dad is throwing the biggest party I have ever seen. There is dancing, there is music, there is steak. This is a good party, and he is angry. He is living, and he pulls him out. By the way, the prodigal son, at the very beginning, he said, Father, give me what I have coming to me. Here he says, Father, I don't deserve to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Listen to how his older son addresses him. He says, look to his own father. What kind of relationship he had with his father? He didn't have one. He said, look, I've worked for you all these years, and never once have you thrown a party for me and my friends. And the father says, your brother who was dead and was lost is now alive and found. Shouldn't we rejoice? The two parables leading up to this, there is a party by everybody. But in this third story, we're left wondering, what did the son do? Oh, I, I know. The son said, Dad, you're right. Let's go in. Let's party. Let's rejoice. Let me give him a hug. That had been a great ending to that story. That's not what happened. What happened was the son took a whip of cords and began to whip him. Took a crown of thorns and placed it upon his head and pressed it down into his head. Led him up a hill called Mount Calvary and nailed his hands to a cross and his feet to a cross where he would die an excruciating death. And that same Jesus who loves the world, that same Jesus loves you and loves the ones who are persecuting and killing him is the same father who waits and seeks for you. He's the same father who runs and weeps for you. He's the 
same Father who will rejoice and leap for you today if you're running from this heavenly, holy, godly, wonderful Father. Can I just tell you right now in this moment, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks in this room or what anyone else thinks online, whether you're listening in Lear Hall or whether you are listening out in your home, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks today. If you're running from the Lord, I want to encourage you right now to repent and return and meet the good Father who loves you who weeps over you, who rejoices over you, if you will repent of your sins and confess Jesus is Lord. And, and then I acknowledge today that there are many people here who know Jesus, who've repented of their sins, have called upon Jesus as Lord. But you've forgotten how good your Father is. Spend some time this week in this passage meditating on our good, good Father. Would you pray with me? Father, use this time of invitation for your glory. If there's someone here today that needs to make a decision of any kind, God, I pray that you would use this time of invitation for your glory, and I, I won't take any credit. No one here will take any credit. We'll give it all to you because you've come to seek and to save the lost, of which... I'm the utmost. I'm the worst. So thank you for doing that to me, and thank you for providing salvation for the world if we would just repent and believe. Thank you, Lord, and use this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of First Importance. You're invited to check out our other sermons on this channel and, if you're in the West Memphis area, to join us for our Sunday worship at 1045 a.m.